Hi, I'm Rob Buckingham, and welcome to episode four of Digging Deeper. This is a brand new weekly podcast that takes a deep dive into a theme or subject and explores what the Bible has to say about it. In this episode, we're going to explore if it's possible to reunite science with the Bible. For example, some Christians say the Earth is about 6,000 years old, whereas science tells us it's been around for billions of years. Who's right and who's wrong? And is there a way we can reconcile science and the Bible? Let's find out. Where Christians today get the age of the earth from, and look, I don't know that this is something that Christians have believed over the last 2,000 years. I doubt it. I spent some time today with a very dear friend of mine who is a rabbi, and uh, he's someone I love to chat with. And so I, I sent him a text yesterday, and I said, look, love to spend an hour with you. And so we Zoomed today and uh, just kind of picked his brains on some of this from a Jewish perspective, from a Hebrew perspective. And so that was very, very helpful. So from his perspective, the earth is not young, okay? But I'll go into that a little bit more in a moment. Where Christians today get this from is from a guy called Archbishop Usher, James Usher, U-S-S-H-E-R, no relation to the R&B singer. Uh, He was alive and well in the 17th century, and he put a chronology together um, of the history of the world formulated from a literal reading of the Old Testament. So dear Archbishop James Usher, he was the Archbishop of Armagh in Ireland, and he was the primate of all Ireland. Now, I know that's a religious office, but I wonder why they picked the word primate, because it doesn't... This means monkey as well? I'm not sure. Anyway, I'm sure he was not a monkey. I'm sure he was a wonderful archbishop. But when it comes to dating the earth in this way, you could certainly say it was a bit of monkey business. So Christians say that the earth is only 7,000 years old. That, that actually is not completely accurate. Christians have a number of views on this topic. Uh, in fact, we Christians have a number of views on lots of topics. So um, let me just share those with you. So some Christians believe in a young earth creation. So they will take literally the words of Genesis chapter 1, that God specifically created, and, and there's a bit of wiggle room here with young earth creationists. They'll say somewhere around 6,000 years maximum of 10,000 years. They would say that the Bible disagrees with science. Uh, They would say that science has it wrong on this because it is anti-God, okay? And so they would be some of the things that you would hear from people who are young earth creationists. And, hey, there are whole uh, ministries that are based on this. Um, I think, wasn't it the Answers in Genesis used to be Christian Science Foundation, and then it had to change its name to Answers in Genesis. I think maybe it's called something else these days. I'm really not sure. So um, Ken Ham, who heads that up, he would be a believer in young earth creation. Uh, The second 
kind of view that Christians have on this is the old earth creation. And uh, old earth creationists say that God specifically created, but it was billions of years ago. Uh, This view agrees with science that says the universe is around 13.8 billion years old and the earth is relatively young in comparison. It's only 4.5 billion years old. A third view is theistic evolution. And that basically believes or states that God initiated evolution, the evolutionary process. He's behind it and he kind of loosely directs it, okay? And so what we have today is an evolved world and God is behind evolution. And then the fourth view, which is the one I resonate with the most, i got to say, is intelligent design. Intelligent design says that God is creator, but the creation has changed or adapted over time. It agrees with science that the world is very old and it's progressing, that that it's actually getting better. And as you look at history, you see the world is advancing in lots and lots of ways. I know that in more recent times, of course, human activity has set some of that back. And so, you know, the challenge that we have at the moment uh, with the environment, since the Industrial Revolution, pumping lots of pollution into the atmosphere, all of those things. Obviously, humankind has an impact on the creation, either for good or for evil or a mixture of the two. So at the moment, we're doing some great stuff on the planet. We're also doing some really bad stuff, deforestation, all of those sorts of things, uh, which, you know, I was reading a very interesting article yesterday, by the by, but talking about how deforestation and human beings moving into habitats where we have not been previously um, will uh, possibly lead to an increase in epidemics and even pandemics in time to come. So we need to look after our environment. But anyway, back to Genesis. So the intelligent design view is that Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 is uh, Hebraic or Hebrew poetry or Hebrew creative writing, not poetry in the Western sense of poetry, but more of an Eastern style, okay? Um, and, And the Genesis 3 is truth as meaning rather than truth as fact. I taught a message at Bayside two, maybe three years ago, and it was called, Is the Bible Really True? And I talked about truth as fact, truth as meaning, and truth as life. And so when we're reading the Bible, we need to discern, am I reading fact here, or is there a meaning here? So with a lot of the Bible's poetry, for example, so the poetry section uh, in the Hebrew Scriptures, which includes Song of Solomon, Uh, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs, and the book of Job. That's poetry. So that is often truth as meaning, okay? So example there, Psalm 139 talks about God knitting us together in the womb, and then it says, and then he knits us together in the caverns of the earth or the caves of the earth. Now, we know that babies are not knitted in caves, okay? So When it comes to the Psalms, they use what we still use in our songs and our poems today, poetic license. And so it's not truth as fact, but it's rather truth as meaning. We have Christy's uh, parents staying with us at the moment. They came for a five-week holiday. Uh, So they arrived on the 19th of March, 2020, and Australia closed its borders on the 20th of March last year. And Christy's mum and dad are still with us. My in-laws are still here. now. 
they're getting on in years, okay? I won't tell you how old my father-in-law is, but he's well into his 80s now. And so I could use a statement that would be truth as meaning. I could say, granddad is as old as the hills. Now, is that truth as fact? No, it's not. Um, I know most hills, the vast majority of hills on planet Earth would be much, much older than granddad. But if I use that statement, you know exactly what I mean. Granddad is as old as the hills. Uh, it's truth. It's truth has meaning. He is old. Uh, there's also another truth in there uh, that one day, like all of us, when we die, he will go back to be dust, just like I will and you will when we die. From dust we came and from dust we will return. That's the material part of us. Of course, our spirit, well, that's another matter. So what we find in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 are a lot of statements like that. Um, and so Hebraically, and this was from my discussions today with my rabbi friend, science and theology are asking two different questions. And this is really important in understanding because I actually see science and theology as really good mates. Uh, we should be able to walk hand in hand rather than saying, you're the enemy, you've got it wrong, I'm right because I've got the Bible and I've dated stuff and the Bible is, well, as Bishop Usher uh, said, he uh, thought that the earth, and this is from the 17th century, was 5,650 years old. He believed the creation had happened in the year 3,952 BC. So Isaac Newton, who, I mean, he was a really bright guy. He was a very intelligent man, but he believed that creation happened in 3,998 BC. So he and Bishop Usher disagreed on that. I disagree with both of them. I think God's creation happened a long, long time ago. I believe that God is an intelligent being that is behind the world and the universe and all of the creation, and that I would agree with the Hebrews that science and theology are good friends but are different and are asking two different questions. So what are they? When it gets to science, when it comes to science rather, what and how are the questions that science will ask? Uh, how old is the universe how old is the earth? How was the universe created? What happened to the dinosaurs? All of those sorts of questions are science questions. They're what and how questions. They are not questions that the Bible is trying to answer. So we get those answers from science. Theology doesn't ask what and how so much as why. So when it comes to the Bible, we find out the why. Uh, you know, why are we here on this planet? Why did God create the world? Why did God make people in his, in his image? So they're the questions that theology will ask. And really, when you think about it, they're the really deep questions of life. I love what our scientists discover and what they're still discovering, and there's a whole lot more there. I think God kind of made creation like a divine treasure hunt and so he's like, okay, I'm giving you this world, go for it, discover. And people have discovered and are discovering and will discover more in the future of what God has hidden in his creation. And so that distinction is really important. Science is all about the what and the how. Theology is about the why. And so theology is about wonder. 
It's about awe. It's about questions. It's about being at rest with the unanswerable, that there are going to be a whole lot of our questions that we will probably have until we go and be with Jesus. And it's fine. We're, we're okay. We can live with mystery. We can live in the tension of the knowing and the not knowing. Theology is about enjoying the journey as it is a, a, about as much as it is about uh, enjoying the destination. And, and hopefully that's the same for scientists as well. Hopefully our scientists are enjoying the journey of discovery and, you know, people like Stephen Hawking when he was alive, coming up with a theory and then with his amazing brain working through whether the theory was right or wrong. And, uh, you know, just, just coming up with all of that stuff and, and enjoying the journey as much as the destination. From a Hebrew perspective, uh, the Jewish year, uh, right now, of course, in the Western world, we're in the year 2021. Uh, the Hebrews are in the year 5781. And so the fundamentalist Jews or the, the literalist Jews will say that science is wrong, just like many fundamentalist or literalist Christians would do. Science is wrong, according to them, because they're saying that the year 5781 is dated back to the creation of the universe, whereas the majority of Jews today would say that uh, that's an approximation of when their scriptures began rather than when creation started. And the other thing that's really interesting here is that Judaism thinks in cycles, not in a linear fashion. So if you're from a Western culture like I am, we've been heavily influenced by Greek thinking over the last few thousand years, couple of thousand years or more. And so our thinking is very much start-stop and everything in between progresses. So it started here, it stops there, and this is a progression. And we can, we can bring that mindset then to the Bible, and we actually, the Bible doesn't read like a novel. It doesn't start here and finish there. And so, you know, in the, in the Hebrew Scriptures, for example, you've got the first five books, which are a story in and of themselves. And then you've got uh, history books, which are stories in themselves as well. But then the history will then repeat and, and because it was written at a different time. And so Hebrew historians weren't necessarily interested just in facts. They were interested in the story. And so you'll find in the Bible that the same accounts of the same, sorry, different accounts of the same story will have different ingredients in it. Sometimes the facts are changed from one account to another account. Why? Because the Hebrews weren't interested in historical facts. They weren't interested in history as fact. They were interested in history as story. It was his story. What can we learn from the story? And so then in the Hebrew scriptures, you get into the prophetical books, same thing, same in the in the New Testament, Book of Revelation is not starts here, finishes there. It's all written in cycles. And so when you understand that, the Bible actually starts coming alive to you. And the thing about history is really important. So as a Western-minded person, I read history because I want to know the facts of the past. But And that's interesting, but it's not the main thing. I need to learn from, from the story of the past. And so really the facts should take the back seat to the story. 
The beginning of Genesis is giving us the why of what we see in the world. And so explaining the why, the, the why the universe and the world were made. That's what Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2 particularly are all about. And it includes stories that are meant to convey meaning, not just fact. And so if you're looking for facts, you get stuck on stuff. I mean, think about it for a moment. You've got Adam and Eve, two people who God created, and then they have a son, Abel, and then they have another son, Cain. And in the next part of the story, that the boys get into a disagreement and Cain kills his brother. And then you read on the next few verses and suddenly there's all these other people on the planet. Cain has a wife. He's got kids. Hang on a sec. I can do the maths. Adam and Eve, two people, they, are, they make love and the result is Abel. The next result is Cain. Cain kills Abel and then there's all these other people. Where did Cain get his wife from? Where did all the other people come from? Um, and all of this kind of stuff. If you're just looking for these stories as truth, as fact, you're actually going to come unstuck because were they real people? Uh, where did all these people come from? What we actually need to ask ourselves about Genesis and, and, and these stories is what can I learn from the story? And, and that's the stuff that actually impacts your life and my life today. Knowing where Cain got his wife from might be an interesting story, a question, but it's not really going to impact my life today. Now, I know the answer to that. Where did Cain get his wife from? The answer is this. I would tell you if I were able. Tish, boom. So there we go. The question we need to ask ourselves is what do we learn from the story? Lots of great stuff. Cain says in the story, for example, am I my brother's keeper? Which is a very offhand way of saying to God, how would I know where Abel is? Uh, you go find him. Of course, Cain already knew he had killed Abel. Am I my brother's keeper? The answer to the question is yes, I am. So every other human being is my brother or sister. And am I their keeper? Yes, I am. And that's reflected in the New Testament scriptures. Uh, if you think about uh, where it says, if uh, someone in this world comes to you and they're in need and you have the wherewithal to help them and you don't help them, then you're not being a, a brother or a sister to that person. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. That's what we learn from the story. What else do we learn from the story? Murder is wrong. What else do we learn from the story? Well, blood cries out from the ground. Now, is that truth as fact? If I cut my finger and, and my blood spills on the ground, does my blood start yelling out, what'd you do that for? No, of course not. Um, if, but what does it mean there? Blood cries out. Everything has a voice. And God is saying here, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. The blood was crying out vengeance. Um, when you get into Hebrews chapter 13, I think it is, the writer there talks about the blood of Jesus speaking a different message to the blood of Abel. So the blood of Abel is crying out for vengeance. The blood of Jesus cries out, give them grace, give them forgiveness, give them blessing, give them love. We can learn so much from these stories. Uh, the story of Cain and Abel, we learn that God is just and he's also kind. 
he punished Cain, but he didn't kill Cain. Even though you can find scriptures in, in the Hebrew scriptures as well as in the New Testament that endorse capital punishment. But here, right at the beginning, we see God saying, I could kill you, Cain, but I choose not to. And I'm going to limit the judgment and I'm going to stop other people from adding to the judgment. And so we see there the justice and the kindness of God. Let me give you a few takeaways here on this before we take a quick break. Uh, Takeaway number one, if you want to have a healthy discussion about Genesis with someone else who has a different view to you, throw out the dates and times and focus on the truth. So, for example, Maybe you believe in theistic evolution, just using this as an example. So you believe that God initiated and oversees the process of evolution, and then you talk to someone who is a young earth creationist who believes that Genesis chapter 1 is literal, six literal 24-hour days, and that's how God made the earth about five or 6,000 years ago. Now, you can spend all your time arguing with each other about those things and trying to convince the other person to take on your point of view. But imagine you both love Jesus, right? You both you both love the Lord. You're followers of Jesus Christ. You're a disciple of Jesus. You love the word. You read, you study the word. And in your reading and studying, you've come up with different uh, answers to something that doesn't affect your salvation. And so this this whether you if you believe in theistic evolution you're not going to hell right uh, you don't have to believe <clears throat> pardon me that the earth was created in six literal days god's not going to tick that off before he lets you into heaven right so okay young earth creationist and all these other things you've got right yep okay you can come in oh you believed in evolution did you sorry off you go you know a bit john cleesish Rather, why don't you just leave out the dates and times and focus on the truth? What can we learn from the stories that we read in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3? So let's take away number one. Um, you might want to use the word, um, instead of saying day, you might want to say time, okay? Number two, science and theology can find the common ground Um, that we're looking for when we allow each to be what they were intended to be. So science and theology can be great friends when we realise one asks how and the other asks why. Number three, does it matter how old creation was? Does it really matter? I mean, none of us were there, right? Even Grandad, who's as old as the hills, he wasn't there at creation. So how do you know what it was like back then? How do you really know? How can you say for sure God did it this way and everybody else that doesn't believe my way is wrong? I think we should actually go into discussions by saying, this is what I believe. I could be wrong. Why don't you tell me what you believe and why? And then get into a really healthy, respectful discussion on these things. And so think about the time before you were born. For example, How do you know about the time before you were born? From your family, for example, what have they told you? They've told you stories about people, right? And so the time before we were born, it's like our dream time. Um, And and, and time's interesting here too because time is not always um, measured in literal 24-hour periods. 
sometimes time seems like it's going faster, other times it's slower. So, for example, time slows down the denser the gravity. So if you get into a place that has incredibly dense gravity, like a black hole, for example, and this is where we can lean on science because the, the Bible doesn't give us a revelation about black holes, but science does, and they tell us that time almost stands still inside a black hole because the gravity is so dense. So time moves faster and slower depending on what's happening around you. The older you get, the faster time appears to go. I think about the time when I was a kid and especially, you know, sort of a young kid and even in my teenage years over in Perth in Western Australia where summers were always and only ever hot and they went on forever. You know, you'd, you'd break up for school and the school holidays were, what, six weeks? But those six weeks just went on forever and ever and ever and then finally you went back to school again. Summers go so fast now. <laughs> Why? Because the older you get, the faster summers go. And so we know about the time before us by listening to stories. I know about my family by listening to what my mum told me when she was alive about her parents and her grandparents and the dog she had uh, as a child when she was growing up in London. Uh, the bombings uh, of uh, London, the Battle of Britain, when she got evacuated to the country. My dad got evacuated to the country during the war, so they were out of the of the bombing. And and then stories of her parents and and their parents and all of that. And so I only know that I don't know that as 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 fact. I know it as story and meaning. And so for me, that's like my dream time. Okay, uh, we talk about our indigenous people here in Australia, and they have their stories of dream time. Um, when you're dreaming, by the way, have you noticed how a dream can feel like it's going on forever? Uh, but you know, again, scientists have found out that dreams can last just a few seconds sometimes, or maybe 10 minutes or 15 minutes. A long dream would be half an hour. And yet when you're in the midst of the dream, it seems like it goes on forever and ever and ever. Ever had one of those dreams where you kind of, you wake up <laughs> when the dream's over, you wake up and you go, oh, thank goodness that wasn't real. Whew, you know, it's like, when I dreamt that I was preaching at Bayside Church years and years and years ago and I'd forgotten to get dressed. And I'm preaching and I'm like, why didn't I put clothes on? And it was horrible. Anyway, I'm sure we've all had dreams like that. Um, and so our Indigenous people have the dream time. Are they truth as fact? No, their truth is meaning, but they learn about their past. And my rabbi friend told me today, he said, for Hebrews, Genesis is like the Hebrew dream time. Okay, it's truth as meaning. Takeaway number four, maybe people who get bogged down in dates and times are trying to prove something. That is that they are right and everybody else who doesn't believe what they believe is wrong. And can I ask, why is it such a big deal? Why does it matter so much to prove that this is right and that's wrong? When we've already seen in the example of Cain and Abel, the real truth of meaning that we want to draw out of these stories that applies to us today is not the facts of the story. Takeaway number five, does what you believe make you more compassionate? Now, this is a great question. And whatever we read in the Bible, this needs to be a question that we ask. What 
what I believe, does what I believe make me more compassionate? Does what I believe close down imagination and questions? So I'm right, you're wrong, that's the end of the story. Well, suddenly there's no point in questioning because the person's right and I'm wrong. And there's no point in imagining and dreaming and all of the creativity that God has placed within our heart and our mind. Why bother with all of that if it's all cut and dried and all abundantly clear? Uh, If we're going to have any kind of rich dialogue, enriching dialogue rather, we need to use our imagination. We need to reimagine old perceptions. We need to reimagine ancient texts. And then the final takeaway, number six, the Bible isn't a science book. It's a love story. And this is so important. People that turn the Bible into a science book, it's truth is fact, and it becomes very cold and very clinical. And we need to see the Bible as a love story. It's a love story about God and people. It's about redemption and reconciliation. So let's not reduce it down to a book of facts, please. Let's see it for what it really is, this magnificent love story that uh, God is communicating with us. I mean, think about it for a moment. You know, God could have given us like a notepad or he could have given us one sheet and on, on side one it could have been things to do and on the second side it could be things not to do. There you go. There's your sheet. Off you go. Don't do the things on the front cover. Do the things on the back cover. And, and that's it. But instead, God has given us this incredible book that is full of poetry and history and prophecy and letters and uh, apocalypses and all this different creative writing to, because that stuff, it communicates, it's timeless. So facts come and go. But, but, Truth as meaning is timeless. The story of of Cain and Abel, however many thousands of years ago that that actually happened, is immaterial. The fact is, and and the timing of it doesn't impact my life now, but, but the truth as meaning that I drew out of that story and a whole lot of other truth as meaning that you could draw out of that story, that's timeless. It applied 3,000, 4,000, 10,000 years ago, it applies today. It'll still be true in, in 100 years' time. We hope you're enjoying this Digging Deeper podcast and that it helps you with your understanding of the Bible and how it applies to life. If you're finding it helpful, please let others know about it. One way to do this is by rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes. That goes a long way to help other people find us. And please like us on Facebook. Now back to Rob. In Luke's gospel, he traces Jesus back to Adam and ultimately God. So that's Luke 3, verses 23 to 28. That's Luke's genealogy. Uh, Australian Aboriginal heritage is thought to be 20,000 plus years old. Does it need to reconcile? Australia's Indigenous people, uh, scientists tell us, have been living uh, in this country for about 50,000 years. It's probably longer than that. Recent archaeological evidence from the analysis of charcoal and artefacts revealing human use suggests a date as early as 65,000 years ago, which is a very long time ago, isn't it, for, um, 
for Australia's Indigenous people. If that is the case, I believe that makes Australia's Indigenous people the oldest continuous living nation that's still in its same country. Um, fascinating, of course, when British settlers first turned up and they announced it was, was it Terra Nullis, uh, the land belonging to nobody, and then, of course, behaved accordingly. But that's a different topic. Do these figures need to reconcile with the genealogy in Luke? Uh, the genealogy suggesting, obviously, that the earth is much younger if we had to take those genealogies literally, um, much younger than 50,000 or 65,000 years. Do these figures need to reconcile with the genealogy in Luke? And the answer is clearly no, okay? They don't have to reconcile. There are a number of reasons for that. The first is that Hebrew genealogies actually leave people out. So again, remember what I said earlier, history, Hebrew history was not about fact. It was about story, and the truth that we can glean from the story. So Matthew has a genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, which is different to the genealogy that we find of Jesus in Luke chapter 3. Um, so they're two completely different genealogies. Matthew leaves a whole ton of people out, and he actually puts them in groups of 14. So you find there's 14 generations and then a gap, and then 14 generations and a gap, and then 14 generations and a gap. And he leaves people out because he wanted to make sure that his little pattern of 14, 14, 14 uh, played out. So Hebrew genealogies leave people out. The Hebrews, by the way, would, would often write a genealogy after they had a census. And we find a number of these censuses, sensi, in Scripture uh, where they would have a census of the people, and then they would write out the genealogies. And, and you find some of the genealogies, they go on for chapter after chapter in Chronicles, for example, and it's not inspiring reading. Um, but, but it does tell us that the Hebrews thought that this was very, very important. So they would have a, have a census after a crisis. So after a crisis, they would take stock of where they were at We've had a crisis. This is where we find ourselves right now. And they would reflect on their past, where they'd come from, the stories of the past, the stories that they needed in the present that connected them to their past, what was important to them as they embraced the future. They would then uh, connect the present to the past, the people and the stories, and they would bring that into the present and then they would take that whole thing into the future. What a beautiful way to live. I wonder if you're thinking right now, hey, uh, isn't, the, isn't the world in a crisis? <laughs> Absolutely. We're, we're in a once-in-100-year crisis, and I hope this doesn't happen for another 100 years or more. Who, who would have ever thought that we got to live through something that history books will record. And people in 100 years, just like we look back and we read about the Spanish flu, people in 100 years will look back and they will read about COVID-19 and, and what it was like and planet Earth around there. We can read history. I've been spending time reading history uh, of previous pandemics because I wanted to hear the stories. What, how did people react? How did they cope? How did society change? All of those things. And then you learn so much from that and you can bring that into the present. 
one of the things that's really helped me is reading that history because I've realized that a global pandemic brings massive change into the world. Every time there's been uh, a pandemic, there's been a seismic shift in culture. And so what can we expect this time? What can we learn from the stories of the past, the people of the past, to help us in the present and, and then take those into our future and embrace our future together? And so this crisis helps us take stock as, as a society, as a nation here in Australia, other nations, helps us to take, take stock what is really important in life. The number of people that have told me that they are so glad that uh, they actually were able to get off the hamster wheel, you know, the activity that was always happening. And, and last year we got off the hamster wheel. A number of people have said to me, I don't want to get back on the hamster wheel. And, and they've made life decisions that have, through this crisis, that have impacted them in the present that they will take into their future with them. That's what we can learn from a genealogy. In Luke's genealogy, he's attempting to do two things. The first thing is he's trying to legitimize the early church. So don't forget, Luke is writing his letter to, we don't even know who this guy is, but he's a guy called Theophilus, and he calls him most excellent Theophilus. Luke, of course, was a doctor. He was a professional. And it's likely that he knew this man, Theophilus, uh, this man could have been a fairly high-up politician uh, or a statesman in some way, maybe a very well-known philosopher or businessman. And so he is inquiring to Dr. Luke because he's heard about Luke's faith and he wants to know about Luke's faith. And so what he's doing, Luke is writing a letter. The Gospel of Luke is part one and the book of Acts is part two. So the book of Acts actually starts with a reference to the Gospel of Luke. If, if I just read this to you very quickly um, in, in Acts chapter 1, and uh, he picks up where he left off with this, with this guy, Theophilus. He says, in my former book, talking about the Gospel of Luke, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit, he's showing to Theophilus, first of all, that, that Jesus connects to the past, to, to history, to a direct line, to authority. And he's showing how Jesus goes all the way back to Adam, who was the son of God. Okay. And, and so he's legitimizing that for Theophilus because at some point in time through the first century, the letters that Paul wrote, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, these two letters then became widely circulated. So maybe Theophilus converted to the Christian faith and became a Jesus follower and then released these letters so that they were able to be circulated amongst the churches and encourage the churches of the day. I um, don't think for one minute that Luke or Theophilus thought that we would still be circulating and reading those same letters over 2,000 millennia later, but we are. And so Luke's genealogy is, is legitimizing Jesus to the local church, the early church. And secondly, uh, he is linking his interpretation of the sacred with the historical inter interpretation of the sacred. What I mean by that is that the Hebrew standard is always 
and only about people. And so it's what I said before, what can we learn from people, the stories of people? Truth has meaning. When Jesus came along, he talked about people, uh, two people who knew about the people he was talking about. If you follow my drift, you would, you'd hear this all the way through the Hebrew Scriptures, all the way through the New Testament, talking about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What does that tell me? Well, God is a God who's connected with a human story. I can read about how God interacted with Abraham and learn something about how God interacts with people. How did God interact with Isaac? How did he interact with Jacob, who was such a conniving deceitful individual and yet here we see the grace of God so you mean wow even when we blow it God will still interact and be gracious to us yes and how good is that and so what we see here in in Luke's genealogy is not he's not trying to prove how old the earth is that's a science thing okay science will tell us how old the earth is scientists are finding how many thousands of years Australia's Indigenous people lived here before Western colonisation took place. And so a human chain is what we're looking at here, not a chain of, of facts or belief, but a communal chain of people and shared stories that we learn from, that we bring into the present and we use to embrace the future. So. Um, yeah, and I've just a, a, a note here regarding our Indigenous people as well. Uh, how would you stay connected to an ancient time? The way you stay connected to an ancient time is by telling the stories of the people. And so in our Indigenous culture here in Australia, uh, our Indigenous folk talk about dream time and they will tell you stories. Christy and I spent time in the outback a few years ago uh, with a couple of other uh, pastor couples, and uh, and it was wonderful just interacting, spending time with listening to our Indigenous people and the stories that they tell. The thing that fascinated us, I think, more than anything was that in a Western culture, particularly we guys, when we meet each other for the first time, we ask two questions. What's your name and what do you do? Tell me your name and tell me about your job because that defines you. When you talk to an, an, an Australian Aboriginal or, in fact, anyone from an Eastern mindset, an Eastern culture, which is what the Bible is written in, they will ask, what's your name? Now tell me about your family. They don't, they, the job will be somewhere down the track. That's not important to them. They want to know about your family. Tell us the stories of your family. And so that's what the Bible is. It's this stunning, cyclical story of families, of people, of individuals, and and what we can learn, what we can glean from them in the present. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. Digging Deeper is a weekly podcast that is uploaded every Wednesday. If you have a question or topic that you'd like Rob to speak into, get in touch with us via Rob Buckingham's public figure page on Facebook. Next week, Pastor Rob will be answering questions about the Bible, war and violence. Is it ever right to fight? We hope you can join us then.